The following sermon was delivered during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is our guest preacher for today's service. Listen now for God's word to you as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. For is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you please join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Let's start with a question, one that on some level helped define me and countless others in my generation, coming of age in the mid-1960s. The question that was often posed in conversation with one another in social gatherings was this, who is your favorite Beatle? When the Beatles were breaking on the scene and taking the music world by storm in the early to mid-60s, it seems that everyone had a stance on who they liked most in the group. Some of us were John fans. Others preferred quirky Ringo, the drummer. Some of us liked George and his soaring guitar licks but a great many of us loved Paul. I fell into this last category along with my future wife, Cindy Sterling. Cindy just loves Paul, and I'm convinced that on some level, her affection for him helped play to my advantage when we began dating one another in the 1970s. You see, my mother was British, and somewhere along the line, Paul and I must have come from the same gene pool. For in my early 20s, I happened to look a lot like Paul did at that stage in his life. 
Here's a side-by-side -side we came up with. Take a gander and see what you think. I'm the one on the left. In any event, I'm convinced that this resemblance played in my favor as I was romantically pursuing Cindy. And the rest, as they say, is history, as we'll soon be celebrating together in October 42 years of wedded bliss. Thank you, Paul, from the bottom of my heart. Of course, many others have also thanked Paul McCartney over these last five decades, not necessarily because of wooing assistance, but because of the way his music and the songs he's composed have touched their hearts. And perhaps no modern day song has touched such a deep chord in the psyche of millions of music lovers than Let It Be. The backstory to this song, which was the last single that the Beatles released, and was the title track on their final studio album, which was released in 1970, is that it was written by McCartney in a time of turbulence, both in Paul's life and in the life of the Beatles as a group. As happens in many rock bands, the Beatles were experiencing creative tension in the late 60s, with various members of the group wanting to go their own way and explore solo careers. Paul personally took the impending disintegration of the Beatles very, very hard and found himself down in the dumps having trouble sleeping at night. To make matters worse, he was also struggling again related to his mother's death. Paul's mother, Mary, came down with cancer in his early teens, and she died when he was just 14 years old. And over the years, Paul found himself more and more losing his sense of her. He could barely remember anymore what she looked like or recall the sound of her voice. That is, until one night, he had a dream. And in his hour of darkness there in Paul's dream was his mother Mary, standing right in front of him. He could clearly see her face now and hear the beautiful sound of her voice as she whispered words of wisdom to him that he needed to let it go that he needed to let it be and trust that there would be an answer to what the future held beyond the Beatles' breakup and the current void in his personal life. It was time to let go of his anxiety, even in the midst of trouble, and with faith trust that things are in good hands. Paul awoke from this vivid dream, finally at peace, with both the Beatles coming to the end of their amazingly productive run and with the death of his mother. And later that day, he sat down and in a few short hours wrote this dream of a song that has become an anthem of sorts for millions of people going through their own times of trouble. Times of Trouble basically defines what the year 2020 has been like for most of us around the world as the COVID-19 pandemic has extended across the planet 
with millions of people infected, hundreds of thousands of people dead, and just about every country's economy in shambles. And as much as Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 not to worry about tomorrow and to stop being anxious about how to provide for our basic needs, let's admit that it's much easier said than done. For many of us, Jesus, are having trouble sleeping and are turning to prescription meds to help us cope. So let's just get this off our chest and admit to the many, many things that we are anxious about. We worry, Jesus, about the job we've lost, that it won't be coming back, and that we're not yet skilled enough to qualify for the new jobs that will take their place, and that we could end up homeless on the streets. We're worried, Lord, about how to feed our children as the money in the bank account dwindles down to next to nothing. We're worried, Jesus, about whether or not to send and risk sending our children back to school in the midst of a pandemic that won't let up. We fear for their safety and for the safety of our extended families. We worry, Lord, that if we get sick from the virus, will we have insurmountable medical bills? Will we get better? Will we possibly have long-term health complications? Will we ever get back to the way things were? And we're worried, Jesus, about our divided country and what the future holds for America. We're concerned that the country no longer works for all its people, made up of a wide variety of racial and ethnic backgrounds and folk in different socioeconomic levels. And even though we know we must, we are not quite sure how to fix it. And we're worried too, Lord, about the rise in anger and animosity among political groups and factions that make it easy to demonize and dehumanize each other, often leading to violence and bloodshed. And no matter how it goes in November, we fear the aftermath of this national election. Post-November, will we still be the United States of America? And deep, deep down, Lord, we admit that we are also very much afraid of death, that the virus is going to take either us or someone close to us whose loss would be more than we can bear. We fear, Jesus, that soon it might be us, like the 175,000 plus grieving American families across our land who can no longer see the face of our lost loved one or remember the sound of their beloved voice. And so in the midst of all this internal and external turmoil, we ask you too, Lord, to come to us in a dream. Help us, Jesus, to turn our collective faces toward you. And like Paul, remember what you look like and hear the sound of your comforting voice. That with faith and trust, we too may let go of this huge load of anxiety we're carrying and know deep in our hearts the truth the Christian mystic Julian of Norwich experienced that ultimately, ultimately, all shall be well all manner of things 
shall be well. Because both we and the future are held in the hands of a loving God who cares very deeply about our needs, body, and soul. It's funny how life has a way of coming full circle at times. When I came, first came to New York City and joined the staff of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in 1991, I was 38 years old and deemed young enough to be charged with overseeing the young adult ministry at the church, which at that time was called Focus, 20 and 30-somethings in a fellowship of Christians united in service. I was the pastor assigned with working with the steering committee for Focus and helping to plan and implement the church's young adult ministry. And two of the leaders on the committee were Eric and Laurie Muller-Gerard, a recently married young couple. Eric and Laurie were at the heart and soul of the group, and everyone was very sad when in the mid-90s they moved to Cleveland, related to Laurie's job in the banking industry. Well, to make a long story short, recently Laurie's job entailed a new assignment covering these Western states, and she and Eric last year moved to Denver. Through a common friend at the church, Mark Chalfont, we learned of this serendipitous occurrence. And since then, we have reconnected with Eric and Laurie out here in the West, going out to eat, attending concerts together, and sharing even in socially distanced backyard barbecues. Knowing one another at the church in our 30s and then rediscovering each other later on in life in our 60s has proven to be a great joy for both the Webers and the Muller-Gerards, proving once again that those ties that bind Christians together do indeed extend beyond time and space. Back in the day, one of the things that Focus did each year was to lead a weekend retreat off-site for everyone in the church in their 20s and 30s. Often we would go to a retreat center located on the banks of the Delaware River, about two hours west of New York City on the border of Pennsylvania. The center offered canoeing and rafting on the river as recreational opportunities, and it was a great place for overnight retreats. And in my mind, I have a very vivid recollection of a group exercise that we all engaged in as a way of letting go and demonstrating and embodying the faith and trust that Jesus calls us to in this passage. The exercise involved each person, one by one, being in the center of the circle with a crew of their fellow Christians lined up just behind them. The person then in the middle was asked to cross their arms in front of their body, close their eyes, and very slowly lean back and let themselves fall toward the floor. As they fell, though, that's when the extended hands of the multitude helped hold them up and very gently ease them back down to the ground. Actually, letting yourself go like this was a scary proposition for you really had to trust that your fellow group members had you and wouldn't let you come to harm. Falling into their arms was an act of faith. That inherent goodness would still uphold you. And I'm glad to report that we never lost a young adult at one of those retreats. 
Of course, that's the challenge for all of us during these unsettled times. Do we trust Christ enough with our anxieties and fears to let them go, to let them be, and give ourselves over into his hands with faith that he's got us and will never let us fall? When you allow yourself to fall into such primal love, you realize that no matter what challenges currently face us individually and our country as a whole, in the end, all shall be well. Oddly enough, this letting go is the work that we are called to this Labor Day weekend as we enter the turbulent waters of the fall of 2020. And so, my friends, in the beloved words of Paul McCartney, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And when the broken-hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. For though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see. There will be an answer. Let it be. And when the night is cloudy, there is still a light that shines on me. Shine until tomorrow. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Yeah, let it be. There will be an answer. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be, yeah, let it be. There will be an answer. Whisper words of wisdom. Let it be. And now, my friends, in whatever patch of this green earth you inhabit during this time of COVID, strive in these times of trouble to live a life full of faith and trust, knowing deep in your heart that in God's good time, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. And now may God wrap you in the embrace of this Celtic benediction. The blessings of heaven, the blessings of earth, the blessings of sea and sky be on you and all you love, and on every human family. In the name of the God who creates life, in the name of the Savior who loves life, in the name of the Spirit who is the fire of life, go in peace. Amen.